You're listening to the Human Up Podcast. My name is Victor Ung, and this is the place to learn everything about emotional intelligence and how to use our emotions and and tap back into our understanding of ourselves and our intuition to create more clarity in our lives, in our careers, and in our relationships, and how to deepen our understanding of our place in this world to find more fulfillment and meaning in what we do. In this episode, I talked to Rachel Alexandria, who worked for about eight years as a licensed psychotherapist and now serves as what she calls a soul medic and a mentor to people who want to adult like revolutionaries. And we will go into what that means and what her definition is of that in the episode. And I'm excited to share this episode uh, after we had connected from sort of a convergence of paths where we met in a Facebook group of all places. And um, I had sort of announced that I was, you know, working on my own coaching business and wanting to, you know, spread awareness and education around emotional intelligence and, and how to navigate conflict and, and our inner critic, um, that so many of us have and suffer with. And she had reached out on my post, um, saying that she had, definitely a lot of experience in helping people through that and so I reached out to to meet up and now we're here recording an episode together so um, I'm excited to, to get into it but before I do I also wanted to acknowledge uh, you guys and if you've been a long time listener of this podcast I really appreciate you being here it's it's people like you who keep me going and uh, who who kind of share similar interests and and uh, a growth mindset in wanting to learn to better understand and manage our emotions and become a better person so um you know our our feelings and emotions are something that not many people talk about and and not comfortable talking about so um really appreciate you being here uh to support me in this process and if if I can just survive with your love and support, I would very much keep going with that. But unfortunately, that's not really how the world works. Uh, so the best way to support me monetarily is by Patreon. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it is a really cool service for creators to create content with um, what they call patrons. And patrons are people who subscribe and contribute a monthly donation to their favorite creators in order to help them keep their content creation sustainable. So that'll be the best way to help me keep this sustainable by going to patreon.com slash human up. And I'll also link that in the description notes as well. Um, but there will be a couple options there to help donate and, and help me uh, keep this going. So with that, let's get into my interview with Rachel Alexandria. Hey, Rachel. Thanks for coming on to the podcast. It's really good to have you here. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, we've we've been connected for a while and been chatting through just social media for a while. So it's finally good to actually get on and, and 
have a conversation. Absolutely. It seems like you're doing cool stuff. So I was excited to get to be a part of it. Yeah. And same with you. So, um, I guess, yeah, we, we connected through, it was a, a Facebook group, uh, the Seattle entrepreneur networking community, mm-hmm. uh, in, in Seattle area. So that was cool to, I mean, this is what I really like about the internet and social media is the ability to connect people that you probably would have never met uh, in person. But, um, yeah, so we connected through there and, and, uh, I remember having a, a really cool conversation, like in the beginning of this whole journey that I'm on. This was like back in like 2018 or something. So and long ago. I know, right? It's weird <laughs> that, yeah, time plays tricks on us, but, um, yeah, no, I remember it's just the, the, the idea and concept around, you know, letting go of, your older self and sort of letting that, you know, that typical, like cliche idea of a Phoenix and, and it's ashes or rising from a Phoenix ashes. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was a conversation that we had around, uh, being more intentional about change as we grow up. We're, we're just going to get into it by the way. <laughs> we're, yeah. we're, Did we're I show you my tattoo then? I think so. Uh, remind like, me again, though, what it was. <laughs> it's, it's like something I would do at that moment. Yeah. I have a tattoo of a phoenix on my uh, ankle and I, right. I got it around, I'm guessing your age. I don't actually know how old you are, but I got it when I was kind of going through my first significant life transition, like willful transition, mm-hmm. you know, when I was like, I'm not, I don't, what I'm doing isn't fitting for me and I need to make a drastic change. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's something we'll get into in this episode, but, um, I guess we can start maybe with a little bit of your background and, and, uh, your journey and how you got here and why you're doing it and, um, and, and what you're excited about. So, yeah. Okay. Should I just take that away? Let's go for it. (laughs) Oh, my background. Okay. So, uh, in a nutshell, I, a long time ago, I was an admin assistant. I had a degree in English, which, you know, that and a quarter will get you a stick of gum in the world. <laughs> and uh, I ended up getting a Master of Fine Arts in Poetry just because I thought that would be fun. And then when I really looked into what I wanted to do with my life, I realized I wanted to really help people stop suffering. And so I got a degree in therapy. So uh, I was a psychotherapist for eight years. And then I I just have been one of these people that continues to evolve and evolve and evolve on the entrepreneurial journey. And I love being an entrepreneur. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I miss the, <laughs> I miss the, the regular paycheck. Like that was fun to, to know, but Um, I love the ability to innovate all the time. And so about what in 2015, I figured out that I wanted to work kind of differently than I was as a therapist. And so I shifted into what I call guidance work. So I work with people on retainer to help them basically adult like revolutionaries, meaning uh, step through their fear and take really powerful actions to evolve their lives. So that's, that's me in a nutshell. 
And and this is why I'm excited to have you on, Rachel. I think because there's there's that not much of a you know support system that many people have in in the adulting process. I think that was something I've been missing in my life, uh, unfortunately. Right where mm. I think my you know th- it's this is not any like you know. Um, animosity or or not trying to ask for pity or anything but you know my parents weren't as around or uh, as emotionally available for sure in in that process and I think um, you know I think uh, even with people who do have a certain level of support even just going into an adulting world or just the adult world is very tough and um, the 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 current systems that we have in place aren't you know conducive for us to do that, and so it's really cool that you first of all went through that your own journey in almost finding yourself and actually more so creating yourself, right? Like living with yeah. more intention and wanting to um, you know have more impact in that sense. So, what was it, what was that? process like what kind of resistance did you get um in 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 doing that maybe from either in your in yourself internally or also externally from others it's a great question i haven't been asked that very much um so it's fun to answer uh you know most of the resistance i met was internal um i happen to be fairly lucky um in my my small family. Um, I have a larger family, but that, that I haven't been super involved with for most of my life. But um, both of my parents are have always said to me, "We don't care what you do as long as you're happy." They've always said that, which in some ways is amazing because I think most people have parents who are more uh, invested in their choices. Mm-hmm you know, who who care more or who have things that are okay for them to do and not okay for them to do. Um, but I think both of my parents, I don't know about my dad. I don't know what that story was, but my mom, I think her mom was super invest, like overly invested in you should do this or this. Like these are the things that are okay in our family. And so she was very hands-off. And the tricky thing was that almost left me with not enough, you know, I mean, no fault to my mom. Like every parent is going to either give too much or not enough. That's what I've discovered over the years. Everybody had parents who were too invested or too abandoning. Like almost no one had the perfect amount and we either have to have something to rail against, you know, to conquer or something to rescue ourselves from. Um, I just think that's part of our journey as humans anymore. Um, so, so I didn't get a lot of resistance there, although I think there were times when, I wanted my family to be more involved and more supportive and they weren't, you know, I remember my mom saying, um, when I said, Oh, I'm having my graduation. This is with my MFA and, and I, and I want you to come. And she was like, Oh, do you really care if I'm there? Right. I was like, right. Yes. <laughs> what? But, uh, so then, you know, over the years, I think part of my, part of my work with my family has been, teaching them like that's just what it means to me to to be 
adulting like a revolutionary is being so comfortable and confident in what I do and why it matters that I'm teaching people around me, like showing them that this is the right thing for me and that it's okay. So, um, so that's, that's part of it. And I think the times where there's been a lot of times where I wasn't financially viable, even though I knew I was helping people, it just wasn't enough people to be, you know, well financially supported, especially after I got divorced. And I think that was a struggle with my parents. They knew I was doing what I loved, but they're also like, should you maybe get a job? So there was that. And then internally, oh boy, I always say to people, if you really want to confront all of your inner stuff, go start a business. <laughs> like yeah. That will bring up every shadow you have to work on. <laughs> so all my fears about rejection, all my fears about not mattering, you know, about bothering people and inconveniencing people about, um, you know, stepping into more energy work and spirit led work was a real, I mean, that took me a year to really get comfortable with integrating and that was working on it regularly. And it took me a year to be able to say I was an energy worker without feeling like cringy or scared. Um, So I would say there's always internal work. There's always internal. I'm just used to it now. And in fact, that's part of how I think my work is productive with my clients. It's not just that I have tools for transformation. It's that I know there's going to be resistance and I have good ways of meeting that without judgment. It's just natural that the ego and our different parts try to resist doing something that's out of the ordinary because, you know, that's just how the psyche works. Like, Oh, something different is bad. Scary. Don't do that. You could get hurt. Exactly. Yeah. It's like a survival instinct for us to, um, just put that up naturally to protect us from the unfamiliarity, right. From, from things that, from the unknown because there could be potentially a lot of danger behind that. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and so I think about that in terms of, you know, uh, adulting and, and living on purpose where, um, I, I think maybe internally for myself, the resistance comes from, Oh, you know, I don't need to, it's like what I I've been, doing things that has worked for me so far up to this point, you know, like I, I, I like being kind of going with the flow and being adaptable. Like why do I need to live with more intentionality? Right. And, Mm -hmm. and, um, uh, you know, in my mind also, then I, I like to play devil's advocate, maybe a little too much with myself. So I like see both sides of everything, but, uh, you're an Enneagram nine, right? I am. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's very typical for Enneagram nine. Like that's the, that's the vibe, like the curating piece. Right. And yeah, yeah, I, I really enjoy harmony and, and, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that and whatnot. So we can. That's at odds with (laughs) needing to take risks and do new things. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So we can maybe get into that a little more too, because I think there's something around like conflict management and avoiding that too, confrontation. (laughs) But anyway, uh, (laughs) so yeah. So, I mean, um, the question I was trying to get at was, uh, so what do you mean 
by adulting like a revolutionary, then that's a good place sure. to start. And then we can yeah. get into that. So when I talk about adulting like a revolutionary, um, one of the ways I describe that is doing the hard things that help make a better life for your future self. So whether that's, you know, putting out your clothes for in the night for the morning so that your future Victor doesn't have to like make decisions in the morning when he's tired. That would be adulting like a revolutionary. Yeah, um, actually, I, I heard just a comment on that. That's like a, a strategy to uh, deal with or to lessen decision fatigue, mm, um, where yeah. I think we the more decisions that we have to make in the in the morning, the less we energy we have to make more impactful decisions like in our, mm, in our work mm-hmm. or for our lives. So, yeah, that's a anyway. I just so yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm always, uh, and I, I think ad- the other way I describe adulting like a revolutionary, in addition to taking care of your future self, the way that you'll thank your past self when you get there, like, oh, thank you, past Rachel, for not making me have to figure out what I was wearing in the morning um, and costing me time or whatever. Yeah. Um, the other thing I think about it is... Um, It's also a way of, oh, right, taking, I would say, extreme responsibility, like extreme personal responsibility. And there's a lot of people out there who are actually doing too much personal responsibility, but not enough in other ways. Like this is the thing I often think about is where where are you fighting the things that you can't actually change, like what people think about you, for example? And where are you ignoring the battles you could win? So adulting like a revolutionary is is really um, taking that honest inventory, like taking a really logical and self-loving look at what are the things I can affect change on and what are the things I cannot. And surrendering those battles that we can't win, that are unwinnable, um, whether that's trying to make a toxic friendship work or you know, trying to gain the approval of a crappy boss who's just, you know, it's not about you. He's just a jerk or, um, you know, trying to just rail against larger systems that aren't winnable just in that moment. Like for example, being upset all the time and and always being in a bad mood because of, you know, what time your workday starts. Like, I mean, as long as you're at that job, that's how it works. So either try to fix it or accept it and move on to something that actually is useful to complain about. But lots of people complain about the things they can't actually change that that really aren't worth getting upset about. And then they miss the opportunities to work on the things that they can, to have the hard conversations that are actually going to make them feel more empowered, um, to ask for changes where they're not sure if they could change, but it's worth fighting for. Yeah. I think that's, that's so powerful, right? And to, to, um, actually have that perspective that, you know, what, if, if there is something that you can't control, you know, it's, it's not healthy to harp on that or to, to, to think that, you know, 
Yeah, we we create our own suffering that way. Exactly, exactly. Um, By both things, right? Like by not focusing and working on the thing that you could make better through concerted effort and by focusing overly on the thing that you can't do anything about and you just keep, you know, beating your head into the wall. Yeah, and and I, I, I think of like being able to see things from a different perspective in order to get past that. Right. Like Mm -hmm. a lot of times we'll think our problem is whatever that issue is, Uh, you know, just to that example of, Oh, I don't want to wake up at seven in the morning to go to work, you Mm. know, and we think that's the problem. But if you want to expand, like see a different perspective out of that, like, well, is that is the time the problem or is it just the fact that you don't want to go there in the first place you know and so kind of maybe that's what you can control is Mm -hmm. uh finding another job or another thing that can go to bed earlier or set up a better morning routine or like there's so many you know i this actually came about because i was was dating somebody at the time and they were really struggling with their child's like they, they were like, I'm just having a really hard time. I'm always like underslept. I'm mm-hmm. always so tired. And, you know, I just hate that my kids school is requires me to get up at six in the morning to get them there. And after, you know, months of talking about that, I was just like, you work for yourself, make different choices, you know, go to bed earlier, come home and take a nap hire somebody to take that kid to school. Like there are so many different things. Like you can't change the start time, but you can change so many things about how that's impacting you or yeah. Or like find a school closer to you that you don't have to get up so early to drive to. There's so many different things that you can do, you know? And I just saw that they were fighting the things that they couldn't change and not ever taking the hard action to actually do something different that would make it better. Yeah. And, and so that I I like this concept of, you know, being a revolutionary too, right. Where, uh, what I think of that as well as just going against the grain in, in what we think we have to do or should do. Um, uh, and so it was, if we were to just kind of sit back and let life happen, we would, go through a a very default path, you know, a Mm -hmm. very, uh, almost planned trajectory. And, um, and it only, it requires that level of just intentionality to, to change that for yourself. So what is, what was, how is that, how do you kind of support that process? Um, for, Well, um, for people to be able to adult at that level, um, first I say we always have to have our inner neutral observer activated. So that part of yourself that is, um, I just was unstable for a second there. Uh, hope you can hear me. Okay. The part of the part of yourself that's, um, just always watching, you know, like from Monsters Inc. Always watching, <laughs> um, but it, that's that's able to just sort of like a video camera and an audio recorder. Like if it's just recording the data of what's happening in your life and what's happening in your head, 
so that you can evaluate it from a place of calmness and curiosity and compassion. You can't make any changes if you don't actually know what's happening, if you don't actually know what your patterns are. So a lot of the time with my clients and with myself, I'm laying out for them, okay, so in your head, so here's what happens. Here's the trigger. And then you like a part of you thinks this and another part of you thinks this. And then it just kind of goes through this cycle. For example, um, someone I, I have worked with, uh, they would have this trigger of, um, oh, wanting to rest, you know, like just wanting to take a rest. And so they'd say, okay, my body's saying I'm tired. I'm just going to lay down for a while. I'm going to take a nap. And it would trigger this cycle in their head. Um, of, you know, they come from a culture where there's, there's no rest, there's no resting, you must always be producing. So it would trigger this cycle of an inner critic that would show up and be like, you can't rest, you have to get stuff done. And then they try to reason with the inner critic, like, you know, just I, resting is reasonable here. I've done stuff already. I'm just going to take a nap. But the inner critic would keep on harping and it was probably parental voices too, right? Blah, blah, blah. You can't blah, 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 blah. And so then they would just start getting shut down. They'd get foggy, they'd get depressed. And this was always the cycle. So when I mapped that out with them, I'm like, so let's get clear just neutrally on what's happening. It's trigger, then critic and parent voice. Then you argue, then they keep harping and then you shut down. And so if you know that that's what happens, then you have a place to create leverage. Like the leverage point is knowing that if you decide you want to take a rest, that process is going to try to kickstart. And so interrupt it right then. You don't argue with your inner critics. You just kick them out. Yeah. So just having the awareness is the first step, of course. Yeah. 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 But not just awareness. I, I guess awareness on a deep, like awareness of the root, awareness of yeah. the full thing, which I don't think a lot of people have because usually they're so triggered or feel so ashamed. They just don't ever go there. It's too scary. Yeah. Yeah. And that when you bring up the culture there too, I think that that resonates with me and um, obviously coming from an Asian background, it mm. definitely, uh, you know, and, and this brings us back to what you mentioned earlier before, where I think we're almost on opposite ends of the spectrum where my parents were very like, you got to do this, you know, do yeah. that. And then maybe your parents are like almost too freeing <laughs> and you're like, what do I do? Yeah. Um, how about, how about you guys be a bit more invested? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and I think though, in both cases, there is a, a level of, you know, just not, uh, not really having the support in the way that you want, right? Like in, in terms of um, exploring yourself and, and really diving into that deep awareness of, mm. of uh, who you are, how you're behaving and what you even want just in general. And so, yeah, most parents don't, don't model and don't teach how to have that kind of, like unconditionally positive regard for the inner process, meaning talking about your feelings and your experiences without judgment and with compassion. Most parents don't model that for themselves. Um, most people aren't great about hearing 
the whole piece of what's happening inside of you without getting triggered by something. Mm-hmm. I think, I think it's like natural too, though. Like, especially, well, first we were not provided this education, you know, like no, this experience. And our parents weren't either. No, exactly. <laughs> right. Um, and so of course we're not like, you know, blaming anyone or anything, but I think that, mm-hmm. and I think that the other end of it too, is that as humans, you know, we all have, we're just all in our own worlds, you know, a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. uh, it is hard to see different perspectives or to like slow down also and, and have that patience to, uh, look at the bigger picture, um, mm. especially from an outside view. And so when I think about how like, you know, society in general that hasn't given us the, these tools, it, it really is inspiring to hear that there are people like you and and other coaches and you know that are helping people through this almost adulting process that is Mm. seems to be just missing everywhere right even in our Mm -hmm. education system and uh whatnot and so yeah was there something you wanted to say to that (laughs) oh i was just gonna say one of the things that really struck me kind of in my own development um I actually, this start. I started thinking about this because I read a book years ago by Robert Fulgham, who's a, I think was a minister, and he, you know, he wrote the Everything I Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten, which was pretty popular for a while. He he just writes these little books of essays, little little thought pieces, and one of the books he wrote was about rituals, and it really made me think about the importance of ritual in my life. It's one of the reasons why every time I've graduated from school, I walk across the stage, Mm. not because of pomp and circumstance, but because it helps me have a tangible experience that marks the closure of something. And, um, and I've done, you know, I've, I've over the years come to make a lot of personalized rituals and I help my clients with rituals you know, we go to the beach and we burn things, you know, <laughs> like, um, and, you know, we have celebrations because I also learned this from family constellations work of, of how, when we were more tribal, you know, as a, as a people, we used to have rituals. This was a, this was a common thing. I mean, it was, right. it was just socially developed and, now in this, you know, 21st century capitalist society, we don't really have many. We have, we have birth stuff and we have graduations, we have weddings and we have funerals. That's kind of it. I mean, I guess if you're Latino or Latinx, you have quinceaneras, you know, there's, there is a little bit of a coming of age in that culture. Um, but the rest of us, you know, what high school graduation is my, is my ritual of becoming adult. We all know that that's not quite true. You know, we're not quite there yet. Is it college graduation? What about people who don't do that? And even then you're just embarking on who you're becoming, you know? So then there's, there's nothing. That's partly why I work with the population I work with, which is the kind of the late 20 somethings to the. 50 somethings because there's a lack of acknowledgement and ritual and uh, transition help for that age range. Like no one ever really tells you, okay, you're, you know, you're like your parents don't ever say, 
hey, okay, you're an adult now. Like, and here's how I'm going to treat you differently than when you were a child. Almost no one does that. And without marking that somehow, without, you know, stepping, there's a book called The Intimacy Paradox that we read in grad school. And the main thing I got from it was navigating being your parent's child into being a peer of your parents while is, is a hard thing to do while not losing the closeness and sense of belonging. Yeah. And this yep. is, that's part of why I say adult like a revolutionary is we have to do that. We have to kick our parents out of the seats of king and queen in our heads in order to become our own authority. Yeah. And what it just makes me think about how if I were to have kids, that's going to happen. And I'm not going to like that either. Right. I think, <laughs> like, you know, maybe you will by that or point. Maybe, or maybe I will actually. I don't know. Yeah. But, um, cause I can, it's, it is hard when, um, when there's a certain definition of a relationship and, and you, you kind of have to purposely almost shift that or, or, kick that mm-hmm. out um, mm-hmm. and and when I again bring it back to uh, Asian culture that's that is literally the last thing you should ever do right it, you know mm-hmm. um, parents so then authority what is then they die and then suddenly you're the authority while grieving like I, how does that even work you know what I mean right right um, I don't know how to comment on that, but I, I think that is the struggle though, right? As, yeah. uh, as there's, uh, there's obviously the value in respecting your elders and, yeah. and uh, authority and whatnot, but I think there, to a certain point, it can be very limiting, as you said, of, you know, understanding yourself and your own power and authority. Um, and so, when, when, when we're talking about adulting like a revolutionary, I almost think that's the opposite of what Asian people will do. You know, I think yeah. we, uh, yeah, we, we're we're just not maybe revolutionaries in that in that sense. <laughs> and this it's this is why I'm I find myself in a in the middle of a really interesting path too. But yeah, uh, how. How do you then, because it's not like one or bad or the other, right? I think right. the the overall purpose, though, is still being able to, um, you know, find that balance of living on purpose for yourself, but also to balance with the re- respect and um, yeah. sort of responsibility as well of of being a a part of a collective. So how do you, how do you kind of balance that? (laughs) I mean, boy, it's, I would say it's a practice like any kind of balance. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say, uh, I really credit family constellations work for teaching me the importance of tribe and, and belonging, um, being an only child from a small family, small divorced family, even, Um, I didn't have a lot of sense of loyalty to a larger family system because Mm -hmm. there really wasn't one, um, which I, I'm grateful for because I think it gave me some freedom at the time, but it was also lonely. And, um, when I really came to understand the power of connecting with my ancestors and, um, 
and honoring that, you know, it's, it's an, it's an interesting and tricky thing. And I've helped a lot of people through that balance. Um, people from different cultures, from Asian cultures, um, from, you know, from families that are very enmeshed, um, families that are very patriarchal and it's, it's tricky. I mean, I think what I, what I help people with a lot is kind of doing the internal work and then being very mindful about how they have conversations with family, you know, um, I think it's Marshall Rosenberg that talks about uh, the three stages of development being like codependence when we're really enmeshed with our family, you know, like, and that makes sense as a baby, as a small child, you have to belong, right? You have to be part. And then, you know, possibly in your teenage years or maybe way later, depending on how you develop with your family, there's like a sort of the push away where you're just like, I'm going to do whatever I want, especially not what you do. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and he calls that the obnoxious phase, <laughs> which I, I love. I don't often repeat that to a client when they're in it, but I'm like, oof, we finally got you disconnected from the codependence. And now you're in this, no one can tell me what to do. Everyone needs to F off. And yeah. it's like, yeah, that's a part of your development, but we don't want you to stay there. Like, you need to be there long enough to get a sense of your power and, you know, to dispense, like to discharge the anger at having been, um, you know, suppressed in whatever ways you were by your family. Cause that just happens to everybody. Aspects of your freedom were suppressed. Um, but when you move through the anger and come back to compassion, and have confidence in yourself, then the third stage is interdependence. And, you know, that's where I am with my family, where I respect them. I know that they are my elders. I know that they have wisdom I don't have. And they understand that I have wisdom that they don't have, you know, just from my own life experience. So we relate as, you know, people who love each other and closer to peers, although there's still a reverence for the fact that they brought me into this world and that they are my parents, mm -hmm. but I couldn't have gotten there without going through the middle phase. Yeah, no. And yeah, it's really interesting seeing those, those phases. Cause that's what it is, right? We all have, uh, it's almost a necessity to have to go through these phases. Um, yep. uh, you can't skip one. People think they can, but you yeah. can't. Right, <laughs> you right. have to deal with the anger or, to, else, yeah. or else it just becomes suppressed in your body and it's bad. Sure. I guess that makes me think about how, how, when, uh, again, like going through something that is seemingly almost a necessity, right. And, and natural to, to go through these phases, you know, how much do we have control over that then? Or, or like the ability to really, you know, um, kind of live and act and behave with intention if we're, we're supposed to be part of this almost wave, right? I don't know if I'm asking that question clearly enough. I think because like, how much I'm, do we have control over well, which part? I'm, I'm, I think I'm more so kind of asking, so like life is, it's more so like balancing again, this like, uh, 
the my own perspective of being adaptable and going with the flow, but also wanting to live on purpose or live with intention, mm-hmm. right? Uh, mm-hmm. um, if we recognize that, yeah, we do have these phases that we almost have to go through, like how much control do we have in in how we want to be or, or in what phase that we want to be in anyway, <laughs> you know? Well, uh, not a ton of control, I would say. Um, a lot of people, I think this is what I hear you asking. Uh, a lot of people that I work with rail against what's happening now. You know, they are just like, I, why am I not over this already? I've, I've already been mad about this. I've already been sad about this. Can I just be over it? You know, can this be done? And that's where I would employ your go with the flowness. I would, you know, if we were working on you, I would say, this is what you need to flow with. Like you flow with the emotions, flow with what they're telling you. Just listen. So when I get caught up in anger or sadness, I, I just listen. I listen deeply and I, I allow it. I just say, okay, tell me more. Okay, tell me more. I hear you. Yeah, that is sad. That is hard. That is scary or whatever. And, you know, there's times for setting limits on things when we, when it comes to emotional process. Um, when it's just, when it becomes like a stuck pattern, that's a time when we say, okay, I'm not going to just keep going with this melancholy forever because I could keep being sad about this, but eventually now it's just becoming like a pity party, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I can hear the question, like, how do you know when it is and when it is? I I mean, practice, (laughs) honestly, (laughs) I used to dive deep into my, into my bouts of sadness and melancholy about, for example, the times when I haven't had a partner, just being like so sad about it. And some of that's my daddy stuff work, you know. And I finally in the last few years, I feel like have come to another level with it. And so now it's not something I'm constantly lamenting. It's just what is. And the couple of times when the melancholy wants to come in, when this like grief wants to come in, I'm like, I, you know, give it a little bit of space. And then I'm like, nothing's broken here. I don't Mm -hmm. need to just keep being in this pattern of mourning about this. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, there's, there's nothing more useful for me here. So I just stop, you know, but that's, I mean, I'm 42. (laughs) That's after many years of being in this process and working through it and processing it with friends and being honest with myself and trying different things. So, um, I don't think I'm in charge of my process or the process of my life. Mm -hmm. I think that's spirit. And my job as, you know, a revolutionary adult is to pay attention and to see what it is here to teach me and how it's serving me and to adapt and respond to it accordingly. Yeah. And that's what I love about this work because it, it, it's teaching us how to be resilient to change, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and for, uh, by embracing what is seemingly, you know, negative and all of these emotions that we don't like experiencing or, or makes us feel uncomfortable. Um, it, there's a, a, a lack in developing that skill to be resilient 
to them, mm-hmm. right? If we're just mm-hmm. kind of suppressing or ignoring them. Um, anyway, that's that's a lot of what I'm learning with, you know, <laughs> emotional intelligence and all that yeah. as well and within myself. And um, that I've definitely been guilty of trying to, you know, maintain this happy-go-lucky state, right? And, mm-hmm. and like, if there is anything that makes me feel lonely or, or, or sad or um, even just frustrated sometimes or angry i would just like nah it that's not real you know <laughs> la, 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 la. yeah yeah exactly uh, <laughs> well that's great role modeling for people you know to confront it when your tendency is to dismiss it or suppress it or gloss over it because you know i i don't know if you've experienced this yet but it will come for everybody it, whatever you suppress goes to reside in your body and will manifest as physical problems. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's wise to be doing that hard, you know, like scrunchy icky work right now rather than be sick later. Yeah. Yeah. That's something I, maybe I haven't fully experienced that yet, but I, I do see the the link between our emotions and thoughts and body. Um, so there is, um, that, that's again, something that we weren't taught growing up in, in this adulting process is to really connect back into our bodies and our intuition there. But, mm. um, so yeah, you know, there's there's a lot more questions that I want to dive into, but uh, without making this um, too long here. Uh, well, we'll save it for the next. We'll save it for the Tesla podcast. Yeah, yeah. Round two. Yeah, um, yeah. So there's there's a lot more questions that I want to dive into, but unfortunately, we're you know without. I don't want to make these too long here. So with um, how I like to sort of end the segments here is um, diving into or or just sharing a quick experience in uh, the five core emotions that uh, are based out of the movie Inside Out. Uh, Mm -hmm. Have you seen that? Oh, I love that movie. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So being a podcast about emotional intelligence, you know, I I like being able to um, hear other people's stories and experiences or perspectives with these emotions. Mm -hmm. And um, and so, you know, uh, kind of do some rapid fire. Okay. Experiences either from yourself personally that you've experienced or maybe something out in the world that you experience as well. So. Uh, first one is anger. When's when's the last time you felt anger or what are you angry about in the world? So you can kind of take it in any direction there. Oh boy. What am I angry about in the world yeah, in 2019? That's a big one. I know. Oh, that's a big one. But <laughs> So many things. I mean, right now, um, I mean, I'm angry and truth be told, scared about what's happening in the Amazon, you know, mm. the, all the forests burning Um, people burning them on purpose. And last night I went to sleep thinking, spirit, can we just take all these, these greedy, evil people and put them in the middle of the fire and just get rid of them? Like that, like, that's what my anger says. Like, just, just burn those people, you know? Um, Because I mean, my anger is like, we don't, we don't, they shouldn't be here. They're bad. They're hurting all of us. That's the kind of stuff my anger says, except angrier. Yeah, that <laughs> that's initial instinct. It's like, 
this is this is what's wrong and yeah. uh, i'm just gonna kick you out <laughs> this is um, evil and yeah. yeah and you're hurting millions of people and you're hurting the planet and sure. i just want you to be gone <laughs> gone gone from life is <laughs> mean. uh, it's a it's a so really, that's a harsh one. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm about, pretty well acquainted with my anger. <laughs> yeah. Um, how about uh, fear then? I, I know you mentioned a little bit of that, but. Um, yeah, I, I mean, what the anger is protecting, of course, is is the fear that, you know, what what's happening to all of our, you know, to this country and to the planet. Like, how is this, you know how is the future going to be looking radically different? You know, are most of us even going to make it? Are we going to be trying to live off in space? You know, are we all going to be fighting over a gallon of water? You know, just stuff like that, like stuff about sort of the fate of the planet and humanity. I think that brings up a lot of, a lot of fear. And how about within yourself? Oh, um, just for me personally. Yeah. Um, if you're, if you're willing to share. Yeah. 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 I mean, that is within myself, but yeah. Um, but just stuff in my, like kind of in my life specific. Yeah. I think, you know, I have moments of like, what am I doing with my entrepreneurial journey? And, um, you know, I I'll, okay. Well, I'll say this last year, and half has been me confronting kind of a new, like an up-level issue about visibility and fame. Um, and that brings up new fears, you know, like fears about what if I'm really well-known and I make some kind of terrible gaffe, I say the wrong thing or something I say gets taken out of context, which is inevitable, actually. <laughs> That's right. That will happen. Yeah. And, you know, how that just is a fear. Like, I don't want that to happen. I don't want people to hate me or misunderstand me or whatever. And, um, even when I just did this big launch of a product and got exposed to a pretty big audience recently, um, and it involves EFT tapping and some people would be on the, you know, feed commenting, what is this tapping stuff? This is crazy. Or it, it makes me feel terrible. And, and my, my parts would get all triggered and I was scared, you know, of, I don't know, being thought of as a fraud, you know, being thought of as harmful, you know, and I wanted to explain to them and I had to kind of talk myself off a ledge and be like, I don't get to control what everybody on the internet thinks. Yeah, right. <laughs> Everybody is free to think what they want. Yeah. I have put out the best information I can if they don't want to do research and they don't want to listen to a comment, they don't have to, yeah. they can just go on thinking that this is irresponsible or fraudulent. I can't, I can't control it. Yeah, no, I think what you're doing too is so it is definitely very different. Right. And for a lot of us have been in a, when we're in a very tangible, when we live in a very tangible world, I think that is maybe something that's, that's hard to grasp. I, I think even for me sometimes. So, <laughs> it's, it, you know, um, but is it, is it the fear of just not being able to, how, being able to respond to that or not knowing how you'll react in those situations? No, 
I'm not really afraid of how I'll react. I I have done a lot of work over the years. I I pretty much trust myself. It's yeah. more it's more just fear of being wrong, of causing harm, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um tapping doesn't work for everybody, you know, for right. example. It it I have a friend who hates it. Right. All my clients have loved it, you know, but I have a friend who's just like, I can't even watch people do it. It makes me, makes my anxiety go through the roof. Well, so that's, but you know, there's no one thing that works for everybody, but that part of me that, that wants to make sure what I'm advising people to do is safe and responsible. Yeah. It gets pretty, pretty scared about the idea that I could be advising somebody to do something. They try it and they have a bad effect. Right. But as you mentioned, yeah, it is, it's, you, you can't really control all of that and everybody has their own response to any situation. So everybody has to be in charge of their own health and healing Yeah, and make the best choices for them. There's lots of stuff I've been advised to try that doesn't work for me and I don't get right. mad at the person because right. I know I'm in charge. I'm the student of my own experience. Yeah. Yep. But that's what brings up fear. Sure. <laughs> Um, how about disgust? Hmm. Well, if I'm going to stay away from political topics, uh, <laughs> because I think there's a, there's a disgust level there. Um, yeah. well, so, I mean, I don't know if this is, if this qualifies, but I'm just thinking when's the last time I felt disgusted. I watched somebody throw a cigarette out of their window the other day. Hmm yesterday and I you know part of me wants to like stop the car get out pick it up and throw it back in there <laughs> yeah. like stop littering yeah um and then I just had to remind myself you know this person isn't taking care of their body already why would they take better care of the planet than they're taking care of themselves mm. so and they don't yeah, I don't know I have to remind myself when I get like because disgust isn't a very good place for me to stay because it's so judgmental yeah and it's it's heart disconnecting so I always have to remind myself like everybody's doing the best that they can with what they know and what they have right and I, I really do believe that yeah that um I'm I'm was surprised that disgust was one of the emotions in the movie <laughs> it's like because it it doesn't seem like as like as you said, it's a uh, it's a very uh, that's a good way to describe it. It's very like heart disconnected, right? It's it's uh it's almost mm-hmm. like a a cognitive emotion, if that it's, means it's close. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I think they're I think they're accurate in putting it on there. Um, you know, when I ask people how they feel, mad, sad, glad, or scared, is what I tell them to focus on. Disgust, if you look at the emotion wheel, disgust is a smaller portion of that wheel mm-hmm. than the other ones. Um, because, but, but it is a key one. And I think it's because it's tied to shame. Right. Right. So it, we have, it, it, it is a, it is a marker for an emotion, but it is a very, yeah. I mean, it's fed, it's fed by thoughts, but there is like a revulsion. Like that does just happen as an emotional impulse. Yeah. Like think about, having sex with somebody you're not attracted to, for example, it's not, it's not an immediate judgment. You're just like, Oh, you know, attracted and not attracted. Yeah. Right. Or eating a food that you hate. Oh, it's not a judgment. It is a visceral feeling. True. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sadness. Oh, 
Well, for me, um, I'm planning to move out of the Seattle area and head down to San Diego. And it is a, you know, spirit driven move. And it also brings up sadness. I've lived here for 23 years. Mm -hmm. There's a lot I love about the city and I have a lot of people I love here, even if it hasn't ever really fully felt like the right place for me on a deep level. Um, There's just grief. There's just, you know, I thought the other day about like, I'm sort of looking around my house and thinking about packing things and, and then I looked at my plants and I was like, oh, I can't Like, cause I'll be doing a car trip and that's going to be too far, harsh sure. for them. Sure. And so that made me really sad. Um, just thinking about leaving different things. It makes me sad. And then lastly, uh, joy. Hmm. Well, I get a lot of joy from many things. Um, I get joy from dance. So I make sure I do that regularly. I get joy from sunshine. So I'm really happy that it's still summertime and I can see the sun outside. Um, I get joy from hugs, from laughs with friends, you know, going on an adventure. There's a lot of, lot of things that bring me joy. So, um, Yeah. All right. Thanks for sharing all of that. I think there was, it's always, it's interesting talking to people just about emotions in general, you know, Mm. and, um, breaking past that, almost that barrier is, uh, it's, it's fun for me. So, (laughs) yeah, Yeah. it's awesome. Yeah. Um, well, great. I think there was a lot in this conversation and I wish we had more time uh, or, you know, th- I wish people actually had more attention span. Actually, it's more so like I don't, <laughs> don't want to make this episode way too long where people are just droning out. But uh, sure. yeah, so really appreciate you taking the time to talk through this. Um, I think it's really important work in what you're doing and helping people just having giving people the tools right that we just weren't really given and uh and so we can find ourselves in a in a better place and as better humans so um appreciate that and yeah if people want to find out more about me that's right yeah i'll give you the floor (laughs) uh where where can people find you and how how can you get in contact they can go to my my name which is my website rachelalexandria.com r-a-c-h-e-l alexandria.com and um, one of the things that they might enjoy is i have a 10-day free adulting sampler that they can sign up for, which is really just six emails that they'll get over the course of a couple of weeks with some lessons and some ideas, like some thought experiments to try out to become more of that, you know, inner authority that they want to be. Yeah, that's awesome. Go check out rachelalexandria.com and sign up for that, that email list. Oh, um, or they can text. I forgot. I haven't talked about this in a while. Can I say this one? Yeah. Always fun. If you want to join that list, you can also uh, text the word adulting to the, this phone number. So you just type in this phone number in your messages 314 665 1767. 
and you just text the word adulting and that'll help you sign up for that list. You don't even have to go to the website. Cool. All right. (laughs) They get it right on their phone. Yeah. Sweet. Um, thanks again for, for being here. And, uh, um, that's the first I'm hearing that you're moving out of Seattle, but hopefully we can catch up in person soon. Well, we'll do it. We'll take a Tesla ride. Maybe yeah. have you put me to the airport and we'll, there you <laughs> we'll go. have a nice long conversation. <laughs> I totally sure. want to do it. So yeah. Thanks for having me, Victor. It's been fun. All right. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with Rachel Alexandria. I hope you took something away from this for yourself and uh, or, or had some kind of realization that you can start exploring and working through as well. Um, if you're more interested to continue diving deeper or get that support, definitely reach out to Rachel at her website, rachelalexandria.com, especially if you want to do the, the really deep inner work in you know, understanding yourself and and what your role is as an adult and how to adult as a revolutionary, like what we talked about. And if you're interested in getting more dedicated support in developing your emotional intelligence specifically and how to use our emotions to create more clarity in our career or how we're showing up in our relationships or to find more fulfillment in what we're doing, uh, you can reach out to me at victorong.com. That's Victor U-N-G. Otherwise, you can also get the 11 exercises that I've collected to jumpstart your own emotional intelligence journey that you can do for yourself at victorong.com slash subscribe. And doing so, you also get updates from this podcast as well as my blog and my YouTube videos. And lastly, as I mentioned in the beginning of the episode, if you also want to support me monetarily, I would very, very much appreciate that to help make this podcast sustainable. You can contribute a monthly donation at patreon.com slash human up, which I'll have linked in the description as well. If there are enough patrons and donations, then I'll be able to hire on a audio and video producer as well to help me make this content even better. So definitely visit patreon.com slash human up to support or my website at victorvictorung.com. And with that, I really appreciate you being here and I'll catch you next Monday.